want you to know that we live by faith. How many of you are believers here today? Amen? All right. You, as a believer, what does that mean? You're believing in something or someone. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in Him. Now, here's the thing. Once you're saved, you live by faith. You walk by faith. You are a person of faith. And therefore, we're no longer living according to fleshly instincts. We got up this morning by faith. How many of you needed faith to get you out of bed? Amen. Uh, you, you got up by faith. You go through your, your day by faith. You pray by faith. You ask God to bless your food by faith. Uh, you're believing that one day he's going to come back and you're going up by faith. Amen. Your walk with him began by faith and it'll end by faith. That's why he's called the author and the finisher of our what? Faith. We are people of faith. We're no longer living horizontally by fleshly instincts, but we're living vertically, looking up all the time by faith. Amen. And so we began before the holidays going through a little series that I called uh, Faith's Hall of Fame. And we looked at four different people so far that I'm going to go over real quickly. Uh, We've looked at four different men in the Bible who lived by faith and did exploits by faith. But today I want to continue that series and I want to talk to you about Moses. Moses. And the faith of Moses. He had amazing faith. God's faith in his life was amazing. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, I'm going to show you that Moses typifies your life and mine. He made two key decisions that are the very decisions you and I are going to have to make every day. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and let's look at what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty-four. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He esteemed the reproach of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking, he was looking. His eye of faith was focused on what? On the reward that was coming. He lived with his faith, looking at not what is around me, not at all the problems, difficulties, struggles, hindrances. No, I'm focused on what is coming. I'm focused on the reward. What I'm experiencing now is not what I'm going to be experiencing later. Okay? So it's important we notice here, his focus was looking ahead. Forward is faith's favorite direction. Amen? So we're going to talk about Moses' faith today. Father, thank you for your word. Now we need your word to, Lord, strengthen us. I want everybody to pray with me and say, Lord, today, strengthen my faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, by faith you stand. and You can be seated. God bless you. Now, we're going to see uh, in the Word of God today that by faith, Moses refused one thing 
so he could choose something else. And again, same thing. You and I have got to do every single solitary day, and I'm going to tell you what it was. He refused the lure of the world so that he could choose the call of God. He refused the lure of the world. Now, how many of you know the world has a lure? The world has a pull. The world has an attraction. It, uh, it glitters. It glistens. It, it makes promises. If you come to me, I will make your life happy. I'll fulfill you. Uh, I'm where it's at. You need to live for me. You need to bow to me. You need to spend your time on me, the world. The Bible has a lot to say about the world, not the beautiful creation that's all around us, but the, all that comprises what drives the world. What drives the world? John told us, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three things uh, drive the world. They are what motivates the world. They are what the world gets up, what worldly people get up and chase every day. They chase the lust of their eyes. They chase the lust of their flesh. They chase after material things that make them proud. They chase after a life without God. That's the world. So I love the creation of God, but I don't like what makes up the infrastructure of the world because it will take you down and it will take you away from God. All right? So uh, now, so far in this series on uh, Face Hall of Fame, we've looked at four men and what they did by faith. And real quick recap, since it's been a few weeks, by faith we looked at Abel. Abel chose the right approach to God. He brought the the right sacrifice to God, and therefore he was blessed, and Cain didn't do that. Cain brought the wrong approach, and Cain was cursed. By faith, we looked at Enoch. By faith, Enoch. It says, by faith, he walked with God. And the reward that God gave to him was that he was caught up. I love the way the Bible puts it. Uh, Enoch was not. He was there, and then he was not. And that's exactly the way the rapture is going to happen. The rapture is not going to be people just kind of generally floating up and all of us waving to each other on the way up. No, we will be there, and then we will not. He was not. He was walking down some road somewhere, and suddenly he was not. They sent out a search party, and they couldn't find him because the search party couldn't go to heaven. Because he was caught up to heaven. And he's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality that Jesus is coming back one day and we will be doing whatever we do and suddenly we will not be there. We'll be with him. By faith we looked at Noah. Noah chose to obey the warning of God and he prepared the ark and he was saved from the flood while the rest of the world perished. So by faith Noah and his family were saved. And by faith, Abraham walked in an obedient walk of faith. And in that obedient walk of faith, he became the father of a nation. What we see with all of these men and all the people that are in Hebrews 11, which is the the chapter of faith, the hall of faith, what we see with every one of them is that they became something they would never be if they had not followed God. They became something they would never have become 
if they had not put faith in God and followed his call on their life. But they became these amazing people of faith. God formed them, shaped them, molded them, made them into people that did extraordinary things. You never follow Jesus in vain. Follow Jesus and he will make you to become what you would never have been if you had not followed Jesus. Amen? Amen. And today we're going to see Moses. Moses. uh, One of the top luminaries of the entire Bible. We're going to see that Moses made several key faith decisions. By faith he made decisions that set the trajectory for the rest of his life and caused him to become the great lawmaker and the deliverer that Moses became. But I'm going to boil them down to two to make it real simple for us. Two faith decisions he made that you and I are going to have to make if we're going to be everything God wants us to be. How many of you know the Lord's got a plan for your life? If you you know that, raise your hand. If you know you're on the potter's wheel, raise your hand. If you know that every day you are his handiwork, raise your hand. Amen? Uh, We're we're the handiwork of God. Now, uh, Moses made two decisions you and I have got to make if we're going to be everything that God has called us to be. I don't know about you, but life is short. I want to be everything God has called me to be. So let's boil them down to two. First, by faith. Moses refused the wrong road in life. He refused it. He didn't choose it. He refused it. The wrong road in life. Jesus said life only has two roads. There's the wide road that leads to a wasted life and destruction in the end. Or there's the narrow road that leads to a supremely lived life and eternal uh, bliss with God in heaven. Eternal life. There's only two roads. There's not 20, there's not 30, there's not five. There's only two options. And all of the multitude of various decisions you think you may have uh, to, to go in life, directions you can go, they only boil down to one of those two roads. The wide road that leads to destruction and a wasted life or the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Amen. Now, Moses, an Old Testament man, understood this. And he refused the wrong road in life. The Bible says it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the grandson of the king. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, let me give you a little recap on his life. You probably know his life, but let me give you a little recap on Moses' life. The Bible says that when he was a baby, Pharaoh's daughter rescued him from the Nile River. The Nile River was known for its crocodiles. And the Bible says that he was in the Nile River when Pharaoh's daughter saw him. And her heart went out to him. And she sent her uh, servants out to, to rescue him from the Nile. And how did he get in the Nile? Well, his Hebrew mother uh, had placed him there in a little basket. She got this little basket and she covered it in pitch Pitch was kind of like tar, and it made this little basket waterproof and helped it float. And because Pharaoh had issued a genocidal edict, he had said, I want every Hebrew male 
Every male born to the Hebrew women, I want them killed. And he released this horrible edict. And it says in the Bible that Moses' mother hid him until he couldn't be hidden anymore. He probably cried real loud. Something like that. So she knew, if I don't get rid of him, if I don't hide him, if I don't put him into a safe place, get him out of their reach, they're going to find him and they're going to kill him. So she put him into a little basket and took him to the Nile River. I want you mothers to think about this. Took him to the Nile River, put him in it, shoved him off, and in putting him in the Nile, she also placed him in the hands of God. And this little basket began to float down the river with little baby Moses in it. How many of you moms know that would be extremely hard to do? And so there he goes, floating down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter, by the providence of God, just happened to be out there. She sees him. She rescues him and brings him in. Now, here's where the story gets amazing. Because Pharaoh's daughter needed somebody to nurse him. So Moses' sister, Miriam, who we read a lot about once they're in the wilderness, Miriam decided to go hang around and watch what happened to the basket that had little bro in it. And she watches him get rescued. And she realizes they're looking for somebody to nurse him. So she goes and suggests to Pharaoh's daughter, I've got the perfect nursemaid for him. She didn't tell Pharaoh's daughter that it was his own mama. So the mother that released him now gets him back. I want you to think about this now, because this is the providence of God. God had his hand all over this. Because here she, she lets him go and gives him to God. And sometimes, folks, not always, but sometimes, when you've got to get something up, when you've got to let go of something, it'll come back to you down the road with God's blessing on it. And it says, cast your bread upon the water, for after many days it will return to you. Some of the things you let go of are only for a time. And so before Moses' mother knows it, Moses is given back to her, Pharaoh's daughter not knowing it's his mother, and she gets to raise the boy she released into the arms of God. Wow. God providentially worked this out. I'm going to tell you this is the providence of God. What is the providence of God? It's when he's ordering the steps, uh, your steps and other people's steps and circumstances, and you're not even aware of it. But he's ordering circumstances to bring to pass his will in your life and mine. The providence of God is always working. The providence of God is always moving. Most of God's footsteps are unseen by human beings. But he's always orchestrating things to bring to pass his will in your life and mine. When you belong to him, providence is going to be working in your life. Amen. Now, I believe that Moses was likely with his mother until he was around 11 or 12 years old. Now, let me tell you why I believe this. Because the Bible says in Exodus 2, verse 10, the child grew. Now, in the NIV, it says the child grew older. NLT says later when the boy, not baby, but the boy was older, he was given back to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, those verses right there let us know that he was anything but a baby when he was given back. He grew. He got older. So I'm just guesstimating. Don't have a Bible verse for this, but I'm guesstimating 
He was somewhere around 10, 11, 12 years old when he was given back. And the mother of Moses took full advantage of this and taught him. And this was God's purpose. He was to be taught the things of God. And who better to do it than his mama? All right? Well, what's she teaching? Well, we can only imagine. Now, remember, there's no Bible. There was no Bible. Because this little boy is the one that's going to write the first words of the Bible later. So there's no Bible. There's just a providential God working out his plan. So what did mother tell him? Mother told him what had been passed down by word of mouth amongst the Hebrew people. She informed him of God's promise to Abraham that through his descendants, uh, all the people of the earth were going to be blessed. She told him about this. She said, Moses, let me tell you about your roots. Let me tell you about God's hand on your people and mine. Let me tell you how God's been dealing with our descendants and those that came before us. Let me tell you how God's been working and what his promises are over us as a people. Very important, everybody, that you understand your roots. You understand what God has done in time past with the Christian church, what he promised us as a people. Now, here she informs him that they were called to inherit Canaan. And don't forget, this little boy would wake up every day and see the Hebrew people in slavery. They've been there 400 years. His mother told him about it. She said, we've been, we've been here. We got here through one of your distant descendants. His name was Joseph. And Joseph died in hope of God's people occupying the promised land. And Joseph, Moses, was so full of faith that when he died, was dying, he told the people, the day's going to come when God delivers you from Egypt. And when that happens, I want you to be sure you take my bones with you and you plant or bury my bones in the promised land. She told Moses about this. So here's Moses, little boy. He's learning about his people. He's learning about the promises of God. He's learning about the plan of God. God is moving in his spirit and his heart. Faith is building. The spirit is stirring his inner man. He was told of God's promise to deliver the Hebrew people from Egypt. And as he heard about this, God had told Abraham, your people are going to be there for 400 years. And, and when the time comes, I'm going to deliver them. When he heard this, something began to stir in his heart. And I believe God began to talk to him. You are not here, Moses, by mistake. You're not where you are by mistake. You're a Hebrew. And the Spirit of God began to move on him. And he began to sense that he was a part of God's plan. When you wake up, do you sense that you're a part of God's plan? Do you sense that God's got his hand on you? Well, I know he's got his hand on you, Jeff. You're a preacher. Oh, no, no, no. He's got his hand on you as much as he does on me. We're all uh, called by God. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a called out people that we would show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're all called. 
And here's a big thing she told him. She said, Moses, let me tell you about something else. Let me tell you about the promise made way back in the Garden of Eden when God told the devil, the serpent, I'm going to raise up a Messiah, a deliverer, and he is going to deal you a death blow. He's going to be the end of you, Satan. He's going to be the end of you. And he's going to come. And Moses learned that this promised Messiah was going to come out of the Hebrew lineage. So he's starting to know, I'm a called man. I've got a purpose on my life. My people are called. We're here for a reason. We're not just here because evolution spit us onto the earth. Oh, no, no, no. We're here by the hand and the will and the purpose and the design of God. And so are we. Jumping forward to the book of Acts, we've got Stephen uh, preaching his swan message, his last message. Because of this sermon that he's preaching in Acts chapter 7, they're going to kill him for what he says. But before they kill him, he tells us something about Moses. Stephen says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. You know what that's telling us? That after his mama taught him and after his mama gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter, he was then trained in all of the thinking and the worldview of the Egyptians. And the good news that I've got for all you moms and all you dads, all you parents with kids is what his mother had taught him as a young boy is the word that prevailed over his life. Even though Egypt was trying to reach him and Egypt was trying to mold him and shape him and make him one of them. No, what mama taught him on her knee about the things of God is the seed that stayed in him and the seed that prevailed. Come on, everybody. The word of God. The word of God prevailed because it says by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why did he make that decision? Because in making that decision, he was saying this, I don't want the world. I don't want what the world is offering me. I don't want the best that the world has. And nobody on the planet was having the world offered to him on a silver platter like Moses was. But he said, I refuse it. I refuse it. And let me tell you why I refuse it. I'm refusing it so I can choose something else. I got to say goodbye to this so I can say hello to that. I've got to let this go so I can pick up that. What was it? He was saying, I want the call of God over what the world has to offer. Oh man, this is so important because this is what separates the real from the fake. This is what separates real Christians from not so real Christians. Listen, he didn't call us to embrace the world. He called us to say goodbye to the world, to refuse the world and chase after him. That's the call of God. He refused the honor of being an Egyptian prince. He turned down incredible riches fame, fortune, security, all the sensual pleasures he could have ever dreamed of were at his beck and call. He said no. He refused it. He walked away. I don't want it. 
nor any of the power. I don't want the prestige. I want Him. I want Him. Somewhere along the way as a Hebrew man, God had revealed to him that he was in the position he was in by divine providence, not by mistake. And he had begun to sense he was called. And I'm going to drop this on you. He had begun to sense, wow, I think I'm the one that is called to deliver my people from slavery. It's me. His hand is on me. What are you called to do? Because if you're carrying Christ, you're called to see somebody set free because of your message. Come on, everybody. Physical slavery is only a picture of spiritual slavery. And the whole world is enslaved. And every believer walking with the Holy Ghost living inside of them, we're called to be a part in somebody's deliverance. So what are we going to chase after? The world? The fame, the fortune, the money, the riches, the sensuality, the sensual pull, living for the flesh? Or are we going to do what Moses did and refuse it? He put his foot down. He turned the other way. He said, I don't want it. I don't need it. It's not on my bucket list. No, I don't want the world, nor the things that are in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the pride of life. Because all that is in the world is going to pass away. The world is passing away and the lust thereof. But if I do the will of God, I'm going to abide forever. So what do we learn here from our, for our own Christian walk? Because we are centuries and centuries away from Moses. And we're in the new covenant, not the old. But what do we learn from him? That our walk with Jesus requires the same thing that was required of him. we got to refuse the world's lure in order to pursue God's purpose. I want to be all God's called me to be. What about you? That's the most important thing to me in all the world. What about you? Come on, everybody. What about you? Does that matter to you? I know that it does. Jesus told his disciples, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You don't hear a lot of preaching on that. But let me preach that because our Savior said it. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, let me tell you what's going to be a roadblock. You, me, us, our flesh. That's going to be the roadblock. So we're going to have to deny ourselves and our own desires, put them down, refuse them, walk away from the world so that we can chase after him. We got to pick up that cross and follow him or we won't be able to do it. We will get blocked by our own flesh you got to lay down your own desires in order to pick up the pursuit of Him. I want to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Uh, when I was uh, a few years ago, well, many years ago, I had some friends that had a, a, a golden retriever, beautiful dog named Honeybee. Honeybee was a beautiful retriever, and Honeybee was born to chase a Frisbee. And I used to love going out there and throwing a Frisbee to Honeybee because she was poetry in motion. She would chase that Frisbee, eye peeled on it. A a nuclear bomb could have gone off and she would not have taken her eyes off that Frisbee. And she would chase it and leap up in the air and grab that thing in midair and come trotting back to me as if to say, am I something or what? (laughs) 
One day I got an idea. I had a brand new fire engine red Frisbee. And then I had the old Frisbee. So I threw Honeybee, the old Frisbee. She caught it in midair. She's on her way back. About halfway back, I picked up the brand new fire engine red Frisbee. And I threw it. It's coming her way. She went cross-eyed. She sees this brand new fire engine red Frisbee coming her way. And she looked down at what was in her mouth. She looked up, looked down, looked up, looked down about twice. And then do you know what that dog did? Poof! Spit out the old to grab the new. As if to say, you think I'm stupid? You think I don't see something better than what I've got in my mouth? And I thought of Christians, how we're also called to look at the world and go, the world is, is nothing compared to what God has sent my way. So I'm going to let go of the old so I can grab the new. Amen? And you got to refuse that old Frisbee every day to grab the new one every day because God's got a new blessing, a new way, new mercies, new blessings every day. But you're not going to have them till you spit out, walk away from, refuse the old life, the old world, because the world has nothing, nothing, nothing comparable to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Moses refused, refused the world so he could choose following Jesus. Listen, choosing rather, he made a choice. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy, look at how he describes sin, the passing pleasures of sin. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it passes. It's an illusion. It's a lie. Sin promises what it can never deliver. And so Moses realized, as an Old Covenant man, an Old Testament man, and he had no Bible. Yet he realized sin is fleeting. The pleasure of it is passing. It's not even worth giving your life to. So he chose the reproach of Christ. That's what the Bible says, the reproach of Christ. Well, wait a minute, Jesus hadn't come. How did he choose the reproach of Christ? The Lord had not arrived. Bible hadn't even been written. So here's an amazing fact. Here's something that really hit me this week. Moses is the one that would write the first five books of the Bible. So how did he know about Jesus? Because his mother and maybe some of his people had said, way back in the Garden of Eden, it was promised that a deliverer was coming. A Messiah. A Savior. And he's going to break the devil's back. He's going to destroy death. He's going to be the answer of the human race. The exit door out of hell. I'm going to send a Messiah. A deliverer. He knew about it. And all he had was this fragmentary word of mouth information and probably the Spirit of God dealing with his heart. So look at what Moses did. He decided to give his life for a Savior that hadn't even come yet. But it was enough for him. He said, I believe that he's coming. Since I believe that he's coming, 
I'm going to live for the one that's coming before he's even arrived. Wow, that's powerful stuff, everybody. He had no Bible. He had no Christ on the cross. He had no resurrected Savior. He had no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or the epistles. He had no book of Revelation. He had no Holy Spirit poured out like on the day of Pentecost. He had fragmentary information, but just a little bit that he knew. He said, he's worth living for. He's worth chasing. He's worth giving my life for. That's powerful. That is so powerful. And in light of that, we have all that he didn't have. If Moses could give his life for a Savior that hadn't even come yet, how can we ever say to God, well, you know, I was just too busy. I was involved with this and that and the other, raising the kids, paying the bills. You know, I'll serve you when I'm 70 and I don't need to do all these things anymore. No, but Moses talks to us today and says, look, I did it. When he hadn't even come yet, I followed him, chased after him, and I became the lawgiver, and I became the deliverer of the Hebrew people out of Egypt. I became all of that because I chased a Messiah, and I lived for him, and the reproach of him, and identified with his suffering people, even when he had not arrived yet. Where does that leave you and me? No excuse. Oh, man. We've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We've got the Word of God. We've got the fellowship of the saints. Would you stand up with me today? Moses gave his life for Christ before he had ever come. We are called to give our lives to the Christ who fully came poured out his spirit and gave us the full word of God. And he's about to come again. Amen? Amen. Same two roads are before us all. So every single morning, I don't know about you, but every single morning, we ought to get up. We ought to say, Lord, today, I know I've faced with two roads. The world's going to come knocking on my door. The lust of the flesh is going to come knocking. The lust of the eyes is going to come knocking. The pride of life, the pull of the world. I read last night about a lady who got saved. She was in New York City. She got saved. She walked with the Lord for two years. And she was from England. So she decided, I'm going to go visit England. I'm going to go say hello to my old friends. I'm just going to go touch base with them. It's been a couple of years. She went to England against the advice of her brother who said, you're only two years old in the Lord. You better not go get around those old friends. They'll pull you down. Oh, no, no, no. I know the Lord. I'm good. Hallelujah. She went back to England. And what I read, she said, within one week, I was in sin again. What got her? The world. Who's in the world? Old friends, old hangouts, old habits. See, you got to make a clean break. When people get saved down here, I always tell them, I tell them every time, I ask them, do you have a church home? Well, no, I don't necessarily have a church home. Well, you need a church home. Why do you need a church home? Church is not an option. 
forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I know I'm talking to the choir because you're here. But how many people have gotten out of church these days? It amazes me. You get out of church and you don't realize that when wolves are on the hunt, they look for the deer that is dropping back from the herd. They don't look for the deer that's in the middle of the herd. They look for the deer that's dropping back for whatever reason. And they surround that one and take him down while the rest of the herd goes on. She wasn't ready to get around the world and it pulled her down. She said, now I'm stronger than ever, but it was a bitter lesson. See, every single day we wake up, we've got to refuse what Moses refused. I refuse to be identified with the world. world's not my friend. I identify with God's people and the God of his people. That's my identity. So I don't know where you are today, but I want to pray with you that God will help us all. Because, folks, we're in, we're in perilous times. Uh, we really are. I've never seen more perilous times than now. If ever there was a time, we got to get up and get in the Word every day. We got to identify with God's people. He chose to suffer with God's people, and He chased after Christ. We're the same. I identify with you. You're my people. The people out there in the world, I love them, but they're not my people. You're my people. You're my family. Whoever does the will of God, that's my brother. That's my sister. Are you with me? Come on, everybody. So I want us to pray together. Can we lift up holy hands to the Lord? And I want you to pray with me and say, with me, say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Lord, I want to do what Moses did. I refuse to identify with the world. And I choose to identify with you and your people and to chase after you and live for you. I make my choice and thank you that I will never regret it. In Jesus' mighty name. Now with every head bowed, maybe today, I never assume that everybody in a service is saved. So I'm going to give, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if, I've, if listening to this message you've gone, well, I don't know that I know the Savior he's been talking about. I don't know if I'm a real Christian. I want to pray with you right now. I want to just say a prayer. You may not have prayed in your whole, whole life. You may not have prayed in a number of years. I don't know, but you can pray right now with me, and I want you to do it. If you need to pray with me, I invite you to come to him. So pray this right now. Where you stand, forget about everybody around you and just pray. Here we go. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me and rose from the dead to save me. Forgive me of all my sin and come into my heart as my Savior. I place my faith in you. In Jesus' name. Now, with our heads bowed for just a moment, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you prayed that with me, 
Would you just raise your hand and let the Lord see it? I see you. God bless you way back there and way back there. I see you. And over here, I see you. And over there, I see you. If your hand is raised, would you look at me for a minute? Some of you are way back in the back. And over here, look at me. I'm going to dismiss this service in like two minutes. And I'm asking you, even if you're way back in the back, if you would come this way as soon as I dismiss, because there's something I want to give you to take home with you. Hey, don't be ashamed to come down front, even with everybody leaving. Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill naked and bleeding for you. So come down, and I want to give you something to take home with you, all right? And it'll help you in your walk with God. So those of you that raise your hand, I'm looking at you. We got a deal? We've got a deal. All right. How many of you are glad you came to the house of God today? Amen. Amen.